and welcome to the Brothers Grimm Lunch Break. I'm Eric Wagoner. Today, I'll be reading The Two Brothers. Once upon a time, there were two brothers, one rich and the other poor. The rich brother was a goldsmith and evil-hearted. The poor brother earned a living by making brooms and was kind and honest. He had two sons who were twins, and they looked so much alike that they seemed like two peas in a pod. Every now and then the twins went to their rich uncle's house and were given the leftovers to eat. One day the poor man happened to be in the forest gathering brushwood when he saw a bird pure as gold and more beautiful than any bird he had ever seen. So he picked up a little stone, threw it at the bird, and was lucky enough to hit it. However, only a single golden feather dropped to the ground, and the bird flew off. The man took the feather and brought it to his brother, who examined it and said, It's pure gold, and he gave him a lot of money for it. The next day the poor man climbed a birch tree to cut a few branches. Just then the same bird flew out, and after the man searched a while, he found a nest with an egg in it. The egg was made of gold, and he took it home with him. Afterward he showed it to his brother, who once again said, It's pure gold, and he gave him what it was worth. Finally, the goldsmith said, I'd like to have the bird itself. The poor man went into the forest for a third time and saw the golden bird perched on a tree. He took a stone, knocked the bird down, and brought it to his brother, who gave him a huge amount of gold for it. Now I'll be able to take care of things, the poor man thought, and went home with a happy feeling. The goldsmith was clever and cunning and knew exactly what kind of bird it was. He called his wife and said, Roast this golden bird for me and make sure that none of it gets lost. I want to eat it all by myself. Indeed, the bird was not an ordinary creature. It possessed a miraculous power, and whoever ate its heart and liver would find a gold piece under his pillow every morning. The goldsmith's wife prepared the bird, put it on a spit, and let it roast. Now, it happened that, while the bird was roasting over the fire, the wife had to leave the kitchen to take care of something else. Just then the two sons of the poor broom-maker ran in, stopped in front of the spit, and turned it a few times. When two little pieces dropped from the bird into the pan, one of the boys said, Let's eat the two little pieces. I'm so hungry, and nobody's bound to notice it. So they ate the two pieces, but the wife returned and saw that they had eaten something. "'What did you eat?' she asked. "'A couple of pieces that fell out of the bird,' they answered. "'That must have been the heart and liver,' the wife said, and she was horrified. She quickly slaughtered a cock, took out its heart and liver, and put them in the golden bird, so her husband would not miss them and get angry. When the golden bird was done, she carried it to the goldsmith, who consumed it all by himself and left nothing over. However, when he reached under his pillow the next morning, expecting to find a gold piece, there was nothing there out of the ordinary. In the meantime, the two boys did not realize how fortunate they had been. When they got up the next morning, something fell on the floor, making a tinkling sound. Upon looking to see what made the sound, they found two gold pieces, which they brought to their father. He was amazed and said, How can that have happened? When they found another two the following morning, 
and continued to find two every morning thereafter, the father went to his brother and told him the strange story. The goldsmith knew immediately how everything had happened, and that the children had eaten the heart and liver of the golden bird. Since he was envious and hard-hearted, he sought revenge, and said to the father, Your children are in league with the devil. Don't take the gold, and don't let them stay in your house any longer. The devil's got them in his power, and can also bring about your own ruin. The father was afraid of the devil, and even though it was painful for him, he led the twins out into the forest, and with a sad heart left them there. The two boys wandered around in the forest and searched for the way back home, but they repeatedly lost their way and could not find it. Finally, they encountered a huntsman who asked, Where did you come from? We're the poor broom-maker's sons, they answered, and then told him that their father no longer wanted them in his house, because every morning there was a gold piece under each one of their pillows. Well, said the huntsman, that's really nothing terrible, as long as you remain good and upright and don't become lazy. The kind man took a liking to the boys, and since he did not have any sons himself, he took them home with him and said, I shall be your father, and shall bring you up. So they learned all about hunting from him, and he saved the gold pieces that they found every morning when they got up, in case they might need them in the future. One day, when they were finally grown up, their foster father took them into the forest and said, Today you're to be tested in shooting to determine how I can release you from your apprenticeship and pronounce you full-fledged huntsman. They went with him to the raised blind and waited for a long time, but no game appeared. Then the huntsman looked above him, and when he saw some wild geese flying by in a triangle formation, he said to one of the brothers, Now shoot one from each corner. He did it and passed the test. Soon after, more geese came flying by in the number two formation. The huntsman told the other brother likewise to shoot one goose from each corner, and he also passed the test. Now the foster father said, You have completed your apprenticeship, and I pronounce you both full-fledged huntsmen. At that point, the two brothers went into the forest together, took counsel with each other, and decided on a plan of action. When they sat down in the evening to eat, they said to their foster father, We're not going to touch the food or take a single bite until you grant us one request. What is your request? he asked. Since we're now full-fledged huntsmen, they replied, we must also prove ourselves. So we want your permission to leave and travel about the world. You speak like real huntsmen, said the old man joyfully. Your desire is my very own wish. Set out on your journey. Everything will go well for you. In a merry mood, they then ate and drank together. When the appointed day for their departure arrived, their foster father gave each of them a good gun and a dog, and had each of them take as many of the saved-up gold pieces as he desired. Then the old man accompanied them part of the way, and when they were about to take their leave, he gave them a shiny knife and said, if ever you should separate, stick this knife into a tree at the crossroad. Then, if one of you comes back, he can see how his absent brother is doing, for the side of the blade facing the direction he took will rust if he is dying, but will stay bright as long as he's alive. The two brothers continued on their way and came to a huge forest that was impossible to cross in one day. So they spent the night there and ate what they had in their hunting pouches. 
On the second day they went onward, but still did not reach the end. Now they had nothing more to eat, and one of them said, We must shoot something, or we'll starve. He loaded his gun and looked around. When he saw an old hare running by, he took aim, but the hare cried out, Dear huntsman, if you let me live, two of my young to you I'll give. Then the hare jumped into the bushes and brought back two young ones. The little creatures were so frisky and charming that the huntsman did not have the heart to kill them. So they kept them, and the little hares followed at their heels. Soon after, a fox came slinking by, and they were about to shoot it when the fox cried out, Dear huntsman, if you let me live, two of my young to you I'll give. He also brought two young ones, and the huntsman had no desire to kill the little foxes. They gave them to the hares for company, and the animals continued to follow the huntsman. Soon a wolf came out of the thicket, and just as the huntsman took aim at him, he cried out, Dear huntsman, if you let me live, two of my young to you I'll give. The huntsman added the two young wolves to the other animals, and they all followed the two young men. Then a bear came, and he had no desire to have his days of wandering ended, so he cried out, Dear huntsman, if you let me live, two of my young to you I'll give. Two young bears joined the other animals, and now there were eight of them. Finally, who should come along shaking his mane but the lion? And he also cried out, Dear huntsman, if you let me live, two of my young to you I'll give. He too fetched two of his young ones, and now the huntsman had two lions, two bears, two wolves, two foxes, and two hares who followed and served them. Meanwhile, however, the brothers were still starving, and they said to the foxes, Listen, you tricky creatures, get us something to eat. After all, we know you're crafty and cunning. There's a village not too far from here, they answered. In the past we were able to get many a chicken there. We'll show you the way. The brothers went to the village, bought themselves something to eat, and had their animals fed. Then they continued on their way. But the foxes were very familiar with the region and knew exactly where the chicken yards were so they could guide the huntsmen to the right spots. For a while they traveled about, but they could not find employment that would allow them all to remain together. Finally, the brothers said, There's no other way. We'll have to separate. They divided the animals so they each had a lion, a bear, a wolf, a fox, and a hare. Then they said farewell, took a vow of brotherly love unto death, and stuck the knife that their foster father had given them into a tree. Then one went to the east, the other to the west. Soon the younger brother arrived with his animals in a city that was completely draped in black crepe. He went into an inn and asked the innkeeper whether he could put his animals there. The innkeeper gave him a stable that had a hole in the wall. The hare crawled through it and fetched himself a head of cabbage. The fox fetched a hen, and after he had eaten a hen, he went and got a cock as well. However, the wolf, the bear, and the lion were too big to slip through the hole. So the innkeeper took them to a meadow where the cow was grazing, and there they could eat their fill. After the huntsman had taken care of his animals, he asked the innkeeper why the city was draped in black crepe. "'Because our king's only daughter shall perish tomorrow,' said the innkeeper. "'Is she that sick?' asked the huntsman. "'No,' the innkeeper replied. 
She's hale and hearty, but she must die nonetheless. But why? asked the huntsman. Outside the city there's a dragon living on a high mountain, said the innkeeper. Every year he demands that he be given a pure virgin, or he'll lay waste to the entire country. Now all the maidens have been given to him, and there's no one left but the king's daughter. Despite that, the dragon shows no mercy. She must be delivered to him, and that's to be done tomorrow. Why doesn't someone slay the dragon? asked the huntsman. Ah, responded the innkeeper, many, many knights have tried, but they've all forfeited their lives. The king's promised to give his daughter's hand in marriage to the man who slays the dragon, and this man would also inherit the kingdom after the king's death. The huntsman said nothing more, but the next morning he took his animals and climbed the dragon's mountain with them. At the top was a small church, and there were three full goblets on the altar, with a piece of paper next to them that said, Whoever drinks these goblets shall become the strongest man on earth, and shall be able to wield the sword that lies buried at the threshold of the door. The huntsman did not drink the goblets, but went outside and searched for the sword in the ground, which he was not able to move. Then he went back inside, drank the goblets, and was now strong enough to pull out the sword and wield it with ease. When the hour came for the maiden to be delivered to the dragon, the king, the marshal, and the entire court accompanied her. From afar she could see the huntsman standing on top of the dragon's mountain. She thought it was the dragon standing there and waiting for her, and she did not want to go. But finally she had to begin the painful journey. The whole kingdom would have been lost otherwise. The king and his court returned home in full mourning, but the king's marshal was assigned to stay there and watch everything from a distance. When the king's daughter reached the top of the mountain, it was not the dragon standing there, but the young huntsman, who comforted her and told her he wanted to save her. He led her into the church and locked her inside. Shortly after, with a great roar, the seven-headed dragon descended on the spot. When he caught sight of the huntsman, he was astounded, and he said, What do you think you're doing on this mountain? I've come to fight you, replied the huntsman. Many a knight has lost his life here, declared the dragon. I'll soon finish you off as well. Then flame shot from his seven jaws. The flames were intended to set fire to the dry grass, and the dragon hoped to smother the huntsman with the fire and smoke, but the huntsman's animals came running to his aid and stamped the fire out. The dragon then attacked the huntsman, but the man swung his sword so swiftly that it sang in the air and cut off three of the dragon's heads. Now the dragon was really furious. He rose up, began shooting flames directly at the huntsman, and got set to dive down at him. However, the huntsman once again lashed out with his sword and cut off three more heads. The monster sank to the ground and was exhausted. Nevertheless, he tried to charge the huntsman again, but the young man used his last bit of strength to cut off the dragon's tail. Then, since the huntsman could not continue fighting, he called his animals, who tore the dragon to pieces. When the battle was over, the huntsman opened the church and found the princess lying on the ground. She had fainted from fear and fright during the combat. So he carried her outside, where she regained consciousness and opened her eyes. When he showed her the dragon's devastated body, 
and told her she was now free, the princess was overjoyed and said, Now you shall be my very dear husband, for my father promised my hand in marriage to the man who could slay the dragon. The princess then took off her coral necklace, divided it among the animals as little collars to reward them, and the lion received the golden clasp to the necklace. However, her handkerchief with her name embroidered on it went to the huntsman, who proceeded to cut out the tongues of the seven dragons' heads, wrap them in the handkerchief, and put them away carefully. When that was done, he felt so tired and exhausted from the fire and battle that he said to the maiden, We're both so tired and exhausted. Perhaps it would be best if we slept a while. The princess agreed, and they lay down on the ground. Then the huntsman said to the lion, I want you to keep watch so that no one surprises us in our sleep. When the huntsman and the princess fell asleep, the lion lay down beside them to keep watch, but he too was tired from the battle. So he called the bear and said, Lie down beside me. I've got to sleep a little. If anything happens, wake me up. The bear lay down next to the lion, but he too was tired. So he called the wolf and said, Lie down beside me. I've got to sleep a little. If anything happens, wake me up. The wolf lay down next to the bear, but he too was tired. So he called the fox and said, Lie down beside me. I've got to sleep a little. If anything happens, wake me up. The fox lay down beside the wolf, but he too was tired. So he called the hare and said, Lie down beside me. I've got to sleep a little. If anything happens, wake me up. The hare lay down next to the wolf, but he too was tired. However, there was no one left whom he could call on to help him, and soon he fell asleep. Once that happened, they were all asleep and sleeping soundly. The princess, the huntsman, the lion, the bear, the wolf, the fox, and the hare. Meanwhile, the marshal, who had been assigned the task of watching everything from a distance, did not see the dragon fly off. So, when everything was calm on the mountain, he summoned his courage and climbed the mountain, where he found the dragon lying on the ground and torn to pieces. Not far from there were the king's daughter and the huntsman with his animals. They were all sound asleep, and since the marshal was a wicked and godless man, he took his sword and cut off the huntsman's head. Next he lifted the maiden in his arms and carried her down the mountain. When she awoke, she was petrified, but the marshal said, I've got you in my power, so you'd better say that it was I who slew the dragon. I can't do that, she replied. It was the huntsmen with his animals. They were the ones who did it. Then the marshal drew out his sword and threatened to kill her if she did not obey him. Thus he forced her to promise that she would do as he commanded. Afterward, he brought her to the king, who was overcome by joy upon seeing his dear daughter alive again when he had thought she had already been torn to pieces by the dragon. "'I've slain the dragon and saved the maiden and the whole kingdom,' said the marshal. "'Therefore I claim your daughter for my wife as you promised.' "'Is what he says true?' the king asked the maiden. "'Oh, yes,' she answered. "'It must probably be true, but I insist that the wedding be held in a year and a day.' and not before. Indeed, she hoped to hear from her dear huntsman by then. 
Meanwhile, the animals were still lying asleep beside their dead master on the dragon's mountain. Then a bumblebee came and landed on the hare's nose, but the hare brushed it aside with his paw. The bumblebee came a second time, but the hare brushed it aside again and continued to sleep. Finally, it came a third time and stung him on the nose so that he woke up. As soon as the hare was awake, he woke the fox, and the fox woke the wolf, who woke the bear, and the bear woke the lion. And when the lion saw that the maiden was gone and his master was dead, he began roaring dreadfully loud and cried out, Who did that? Bear, why didn't you wake me? The bear asked the wolf, Why didn't you wake me? And the wolf asked the fox, Why didn't you wake me? The fox asked the hare, Why didn't you wake me? The poor hare was the only one who did not know what to answer, and the guilt fell on his shoulders. They wanted to pounce on him, but he pleaded with them and said, Don't kill me. I'll bring our master back to life. I know a mountain where a root grows that cures and heals all kinds of sickness and wounds. You only have to stick the root in the person's mouth, but it takes two hundred hours to get to the mountain. Well, you've got to dash there and back and fetch the root within twenty-four hours, declared the lion. The hare raced away, and within twenty-four hours he was back with the root. The lion put the huntsman's head back in position, and the hare stuck the root in his mouth. All at once, everything functioned together again. His heart beat, and life returned to him. When the huntsman awoke, he was distressed not to find the maiden by his side. She must have gone away while I was asleep to get rid of me, he thought. In his great haste, the lion had put his master's head on backward. However, the huntsman was so preoccupied by his sad thoughts about the king's daughter that he did not notice it. Only at noon, when he wanted to eat something, did he realize his head was on backward. He was at a loss to understand how that had happened, and he asked the animals. The lion told him that they had all been so tired that they had fallen asleep, and that upon awakening they had found him dead with his head cut off. The hare had then fetched the root of life, but the lion in his haste had held his head the wrong way. After saying all that, the lion wanted to correct his mistake, so, he tore off the head of the huntsman, turned it around, and the hare healed him again with the root. The huntsman nevertheless remained in a gloomy mood. He traveled about the world and made his animals dance before crowds of people. After a year had passed, he happened to return to the same city where he had rescued the king's daughter from the dragon, and this time the city was draped completely in crimson. "'What does all that mean?' he asked the innkeeper. A year ago, the city was draped in black. What's the meaning of the crimson? A year ago, the princess was supposed to have been delivered to the dragon, answered the innkeeper. But the marshal fought and slew the dragon. Tomorrow, his wedding with the princess will be celebrated. That's why the city, in its mourning, was draped in black then. And that's why the city, in its joy, is draped in crimson today. At noon the next day, when the wedding was to take place, the huntsman said to the innkeeper, Do you think, innkeeper, that it might be possible for me to eat bread from the king's table right here at your place? Well, said the innkeeper, I'd be willing to bet a hundred gold pieces that you can't possibly do that. The huntsman accepted the wager and put up a pouch with one hundred gold pieces to match the innkeeper's money. Then he called the hare and said, Go there, my speedster, 
and fetch me some of the bread fit for a king. Now the little hare was the weakest of the animals, and it was impossible for him to pass his task on to any of the others. He had to perform it by himself. My God, he thought, if I amble down the street by myself, the butcher's dogs will soon be after me. And it happened just as he thought it would. The dogs chased after him and wanted to tear his good fur to shreds. However, you should have seen the hare run. He sped to the castle and took refuge in the sentry box without the guard noticing him. When the dogs came and tried to get him out, the soldier would take no nonsense from them and hit them with the butt of his rifle, so they ran away yelping and howling. When the hare saw the coast was clear, he ran into the palace and straight to the king's daughter. Then he sat down under her chair and scratched her foot. "'Get out of here,' she said, for she thought it was her dog. The hare scratched her foot a second time, and she repeated, "'Get out of here,' for she thought it was her dog. But the hare did not let himself be deterred and scratched a third time. Then she looked down and recognized the hare by his coral collar. So she picked him up, carried him into her chamber, and said, "'My dear hare, what do you want?' "'My master, the dragon-slayer, is here,' he answered, "'and he sent me to fetch some bread fit for a king.' "'The princess was filled with joy. "'She summoned the baker and ordered him to bring her a loaf of bread fit for a king. "'But the baker must also carry it for me,' said the hare. "'Otherwise the butcher's dogs will hurt me.' "'The baker carried the bread up to the door of the inn for the hare. "'Then the hare stood up on his hind legs, took the loaf of bread in his front paws, and brought it to his master. "'You see, innkeeper,' the huntsman said, "'the hundred gold pieces are mine.' The innkeeper was astonished, but the huntsman continued to speak. "'Well, innkeeper, I've got the bread, but now I want some of the king's roast as well.' "'I'd like to see that,' said the innkeeper, but he did not want to bet any more. The huntsman called the fox and said, "'Little fox, go there and fetch me a roast fit for a king.' The red fox knew the shortcuts better than the hare, and he went through the holes and around corners without the dogs catching sight of him. Once at the castle, he sat under the chair of the princess and scratched her foot. When she looked down, she recognized the fox by his coral collar, carried him into her chamber, and said, "'My dear fox, what do you want?' "'My master, the dragon slayer, is here,' he answered." and he sent me to ask for a roast fit for a king. She summoned the cook and ordered him to prepare a roast fit for a king and to carry it for the fox up to the door of the inn. There the fox took the dish from him, wagged his tail to brush off the flies that had settled on the roast, and brought it to his master. You see, innkeeper, said the huntsman, bread and meat are here, but now I want to have some vegetables fit for a king. So he called the wolf and said, Dear wolf, go straight to the castle and fetch me some vegetables fit for a king. So the wolf went straight to the castle, for he was afraid of no one. And when he reached the princess, he tugged at her dress from behind so that she had to turn around. She recognized him by his coral collar, took him into her chamber, and said, My dear wolf, what do you want? My master, the dragon slayer, is here, he answered, and he sent me to ask for some vegetables fit for a king. She summoned the cook, who had to prepare some vegetables fit for a king, and she ordered him to carry them for the wolf to the door of the inn. There the wolf took the dish and brought it to his master. You see, innkeeper, now I've got bread, meat, and vegetables, 
but I also want some sweets fit for a king. So he called the bear and said, Dear bear, since you're fond of licking sweet things, go and fetch me sweets fit for a king. So the bear trotted off to the castle, and everyone cleared out of his way. When he reached the sentry box, the guards barred his way with their guns and did not want to let him enter the royal castle. But he stood up on his hind legs and slapped the guards left and right, forcing them to fall apart. Then he went straight to the king's daughter, stood behind her, and growled softly. She looked behind her, recognized the bear, and told him to go with her into the chamber. "'My dear bear,' she said, "'what do you want?' "'My master, the dragon slayer, is here,' he answered, "'and I'm to ask for some sweets fit for a king.' She summoned the confectioner and ordered him to make sweets fit for a king and to carry them up to the door for the bear. There the bear licked the sugar plums that had rolled off, stood on his hind legs, and brought them to his master. "'You see, innkeeper,' said the huntsman, now I've got bread, meat, vegetables, and sweets, but I also want to drink wine fit for a king. So he called his lion and said, Dear lion, since you like to indulge yourself and get tipsy, go and fetch me some wine fit for a king. When the lion strode down the street, the people fled from him, and when he came to the guards, they wanted to bar his way, but he only had to let out a roar, and they all dashed away. The lion then went to the royal chamber and knocked on the door with his tail. The king's daughter came out and would have been petrified had she not recognized him by the golden clasp of her necklace. She invited him inside and said, My dear lion, what do you want? My master, the dragon slayer, is here, and I am to ask for some wine fit for a king. She summoned the cupbearer and ordered him to give the lion some wine fit for a king. I want to go with him to make sure that I get the right kind, said the lion. He went downstairs with the cupbearer, and when they were below, the cupbearer was about to draw some ordinary wine that the king's servants usually drank, when the lion said, Stop! I want to taste the wine first. He drew half a measure for himself and drank it down. No, he said, that's not the right kind. The cupbearer glared at him and was cross. Then he went on and was about to offer him wine from another barrel reserved for the king's marshal. Stop, said the lion. I want to taste the wine first. He drew half a measure for himself and drank it down. It's better than the first, but it's still not the right kind. Now the cupbearer got angry and said, How can a stupid beast understand anything about wine? But the lion gave him such a blow behind the ears that he fell hard on the ground. When he got up, he did not utter a word, but led the lion into a special small cellar where the king's wine was kept solely for his private use. The lion drew half a measure for himself, tasted the wine, and said, That's the right kind. And he ordered the cupbearer to fill six bottles with the wine. Then they climbed back upstairs, and when the lion left the cellar and stepped outside, he began to stagger back and forth. Since he was a bit drunk, the cupbearer had to carry the wine up to the door for him. Then the lion took the basket in his mouth and carried it to his master. "'You see, innkeeper,' the huntsman said, "'I've got bread, meat, vegetables, sweets, and wine fit for a king, "'and now I want to dine with my animals.' He sat down at the table, ate and drank, and shared his meal with the hare, the fox, the wolf, the bear, and the lion." 
The huntsman was in good spirits, for he realized that the king's daughter was fond of him. After the meal was over, he said, Innkeeper, now that I've eaten and drunk, just like a king, I'm going to the king's palace, where I shall marry his daughter. How are you going to do that? asked the innkeeper. She already has a bridegroom, and the wedding's to be celebrated today. The huntsman took out the handkerchief that the king's daughter had given him on the dragon's mountain, and it still contained the seven tongues of the monster. All I need, he said, is what I'm holding here in my hand. The innkeeper looked at the handkerchief and said, Even if I believe everything else, I can't believe this, and I'm willing to stake my house and everything I own on it. The huntsman then took out a pouch with a thousand gold pieces in it, put the pouch on the table, and said, I'll match your house and property with this. Meanwhile, the king and his daughter were sitting at the royal table, and the king asked her, What did all those wild animals want who came to you and kept running in and out of my castle? I'm not allowed to say, she answered, but you'd do well to send for the master of those animals. The king sent a servant to the inn and had the stranger invited to the palace. The servant arrived just as the huntsman concluded the bet with the innkeeper. You see, innkeeper, said the huntsman, the king sent a servant to invite me to the palace, but I refused to go the way I am. Then he turned to the servant and said, Please be so kind as to tell the king to send me royal garments, a coach with six horses, and servants to attend me. When the king heard the answer, he said to his daughter, What should I do? You'd do well to honor his request and send for him, she said. So the king sent royal garments, a coach with six horses, and servants to attend him. When the huntsman saw them coming, he said, You see, innkeeper, my request has been honored. And he dressed himself in royal garments, took the handkerchief with the seven tongues of the dragon, and drove to the palace. When the king saw him coming, he said to his daughter, How shall I receive him? You'd do well to go and meet him, she answered. The king went to meet him and led him up to the palace, while the animals followed behind. The king showed the young huntsman to a place next to him and his daughter. The seat on the other side was taken by the marshal, who did not recognize the huntsman. Just then the seven heads of the dragon were carried out for display, and the king said, Since the marshal cut off the seven heads of the dragon, I shall give him to my daughter to be his wife today. Then the huntsman stood up, opened the seven jaws, and said, Where are the seven tongues of the dragon? Upon hearing that, the marshal was so frightened that he turned pale and did not know what to reply. Finally, he said, Dragons have no tongues. Liars should have no tongues, said the huntsman, but the dragon's tongues can prove who the real dragon slayer is. Then he unwrapped the handkerchief to reveal the seven tongues. When he stuck each tongue back into the mouth where it belonged, each fit perfectly. Next, he took the handkerchief, on which the name of the king's daughter had been embroidered, showed it to the maiden, and asked her to point out which man she had given it to. To the man who slew the dragon, she replied. Then he called his animals, took off their coral collars and the golden clasp from the lion, and asked the maiden to tell to whom they belonged. The necklace and the golden clasp were mine, she answered, but I divided the necklace among the animals who had helped in slaying the dragon. Then the huntsman said, After I was weary from the fight, I lay down to rest and sleep, and the marshal came and cut off my head. 
Then he carried off the king's daughter and pretended it was he who had slain the dragon. To prove that he's been lying, I have brought the tongues, the handkerchief, and the necklace. And then he told how his animals had healed him through a miraculous route, and how he had traveled around for a year and had finally come back to the spot where he learned about the treachery of the marshal, thanks to the innkeeper's story. Is it true that this man slew the dragon? the king asked his daughter. Yes, she replied, it's true. Now I may reveal the marshal's shameful crime, for it has been exposed without my speaking about it. You see, the marshal made me take a vow of silence, and that's why I had insisted upon waiting a year and a day before celebrating the wedding. The king summoned twelve counselors and ordered them to pronounce judgment on the marshal, and they sentenced him to be torn apart by four oxen. Thus the marshal was executed, and the king gave his daughter to the huntsman and named him viceroy over the entire kingdom. The wedding was celebrated with great rejoicing, and the young king sent for his father and foster father and overwhelmed them with fine gifts. Nor did he forget the innkeeper. He too was sent for, and the young king said, You see, innkeeper, I've married the king's daughter, and your house and property are mine. Yes, he said, by right everything is yours. But the young king said, No, it is by mercy that I shall act. You shall keep your house and property. Moreover, I want you to retain the one thousand gold pieces as a gift. Now the young king and young queen were in good spirits and had a happy life together. He often went out hunting, since that gave him pleasure, and his faithful animals always accompanied him. Nearby was a forest, however, that was said to be enchanted. Whoever entered did not return very easily. But the young king had a great desire to go hunting in it, and he kept bothering the old king until he obtained permission to go there. So he rode out with a large retinue, and when he came to the forest, he saw a doe as white as snow, and said to his men, Wait here until I return. I want to hunt that beautiful doe. He rode into the forest in pursuit of the doe, and only his animals followed him. His men stopped and waited until evening, but he did not come back. So they rode home and said to the young queen, The young king went hunting after a beautiful white doe in the enchanted forest and did not return. Upon hearing this, she became very worried about him. Meanwhile, he had kept riding after the beautiful doe, never managing to overtake it. Each time he thought he had the doe within his aim, the animal would dart away and run off into the distance, until finally it vanished altogether. When the huntsman realized that he had gone deep into the forest, he took out his horn and blew it. There was no response, however, for his men could not hear it. After night began to fall, he saw that he could not get home that day. So, intending to spend the night there, he dismounted and built a fire near a tree. While he was sitting by the fire, and his animals were lying beside him, he thought he heard a human voice. He looked around, but did not see anyone. Soon after, he heard a groan that sounded as though it were coming from above. When he looked up, he saw an old woman sitting in the tree, moaning and groaning. Oh, oh, I'm freezing, she cried. Climb down, he said, and warm yourself if you're freezing. No, your animals will bite me, she replied. They won't harm you, Granny, he answered. Just come down. However, she was a witch and said, I'm going to throw down a switch from the tree. If you hit them on their backs with it, they won't hurt me. 
Then she threw the switch to him, and when he hit them with it, they immediately lay still and were turned to stone. When the witch was safe from the animals, she jumped down, touched him with a switch, and he was turned to stone. Whereupon she laughed, and then dragged him and the animals to a pit, where there were already many more such stones. When the young king did not come back at all, the young queen's worries and fears increased. Now it happened that just at this time the other brother, who had gone to the east when the twins had separated, came to this kingdom. He had been looking for employment and had found none. Therefore he had been traveling about and having his animals dance in front of crowds of people. Eventually it occurred to him to take a look at the knife they had stuck into the tree upon their separation to see how his brother was doing. When he got there, his brother's side of the knife was half rusty and half bright. At once he became alarmed and thought, My brother must have met with great misfortune, but perhaps I can still save him, for half the knife is bright. He went off to the west with his animals, and when he arrived at the city gate, the guards approached him and asked whether they should announce his arrival to his wife, for the young queen had been upset for several days about his absence, and had been afraid that he had been killed in the enchanted forest. The guards, of course, believed that he was none other than the young king himself, because he resembled him so much, and also had the wild animals following him. The brother realized that they had mistaken him for his brother, and thought, It's perhaps best that I pretend to be him, then I'll be able to rescue him more easily. So he let himself be conducted by the guards into the palace, and was jubilantly received. The young queen thought for sure he was her husband, and asked him why he had stayed away so long. I lost my way in the forest and could not find the way back any sooner, he said. In the evening he was taken to the royal bed, but he placed a double-edged sword between himself and the young queen. She did not know what to make of it, but she did not dare to ask. He remained there a few days and inquired into everything concerning the enchanted forest. Finally, he said, I must go hunting there once more. The king and the young queen tried to talk him out of it, but he insisted and set out with a large retinue. When he reached the forest, he went through everything his brother had. He saw a white doe and said to his men, Stay here and wait until I return. He rode into the forest, and his animals followed after him. But he could not overtake the doe and went so deep into the forest that he had to spend the night there. After he had built a fire, he heard a groan above him. Oh, oh, I'm freezing. He looked up and saw the same witch sitting in the tree. If you're freezing, climb down, Granny, he said, and warm yourself. No, your animals will bite me, she replied. They won't harm you, he said. I'm going to throw down a switch from the tree to you, she said. If you hit them with it, they won't hurt me. When the huntsman heard that, he did not trust the old woman and said, I won't hit my animals. Either you come down, or I'll come get you. Do you really think you can do something? she cried. There's no way you can harm me. But he answered, If you don't come down, I'll shoot you down. Go ahead and shoot, she said. I'm not afraid of your bullets. So he took aim and fired at her, but the witch was protected against lead bullets, and she let out a shrill laugh. You'll never hit me, she exclaimed. But the huntsman knew just what to do. He took off three silver buttons from his jacket and loaded his gun with them, 
for her witchcraft was powerless against them. Now when he pulled the trigger, she fell down from the tree with a scream. Then he put his foot on her and said, You old witch, if you don't tell me right away where my brother is, I'll pick you up with both my hands and throw you into the fire. Since she was terribly frightened, she begged for mercy and said, He's been turned to stone along with his animals, and they're lying in a pit. He forced her to go with him, and there he threatened her by saying, You old monkey, now you'd better restore life to my brother and all the other creatures that are lying there, or I'll throw you into the fire. She took a switch and touched the stones, and his brother and the animals came back to life again, and many others as well, such as merchants, artisans, and shepherds, who arose, thanked the huntsmen for their release, and went home. Meanwhile, when the twin brothers saw each other again, they kissed each other, and their hearts were full of joy. Then they grabbed the witch, tied her up, and put her into the fire. After she had been burned, the forest opened up all by itself and became bright and clear, so that one could see the royal castle, which was about a three-hour walk from there. Now the two brothers headed toward home together, and along the way told each other about their adventures. When the younger one said that he was viceroy for the whole kingdom, the other said, I realized that right away. When I came into the city, I was mistaken for you and shown every royal honor. The young queen thought I was her husband, and I had to sleep in your bed. When the other heard that, he became so jealous that he drew his sword and cut off his brother's head. However, when he saw his brother lying there dead and his red blood flowing, he was overcome by remorse. My brother rescued me, he exclaimed, and in return I've killed him. He uttered cries of grief, and then his hare came and offered to fetch the root of life. The hare dashed off and returned at just the right time. The dead brother was brought back to life and did not even notice his wound. When they continued on their journey, the younger brother said, You look like me. You're dressed in royal garments like me, and your animals are like mine. Let's enter from opposite gates and go to the king's chamber at the same time from opposite directions. So they took separate paths, and simultaneously the guards came from opposite gates to the old king and announced that the young king had returned with his animals from the hunt. It's not possible, the king said. The gates are an hour's walk apart. Just then, however, the two brothers arrived at the palace courtyard from two sides and came upstairs. Tell me, the king said to his daughter, which one is your husband? They look exactly alike, and I can't tell them apart. The young queen was very upset and could not tell him apart either. Finally, she remembered the necklace that she had given the animals. She searched and found the golden clasp on the lion, and then she exclaimed happily, The man whom this lion follows is my husband. Then the young king laughed and said, Yes, you found the right one. Now they all sat down at the table and ate and drank, and they were in a merry mood. That night, when the young king went to bed, his wife asked him, why did you always place a double-edged sword in our bed these last few nights? I thought you might want to slay me. Then he realized how faithful his brother had been. The End The Brothers Grim Lunch Break is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Download it and share it all you'd like, but don't change it or sell it. The translations used are copyright Jack Zipes and are used with permission. His collected translations, The Complete Fairy Tales of the Brothers Grimm, is available on the media of your choice from Bantam Books.
The music is Mount Timbrel by Jamie Janover off his All Strings Considered album, available on magnatune.com. If you'd like to listen to any of the other tales, you can find them on our website, www.grimlunch.org, where you can also leave comments or subscribe through iTunes. And if you're in iTunes, would you mind leaving a review or clicking on stars to give this podcast a rating? It helps other people find the podcast, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Thank you.